Please stand up for God's word out of reverence for it. And uh, this morning's portion is actually the words of, of our Lord Jesus himself from Matthew 5. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. <laughs> if you're uh, wondering at all, uh, as you're looking at these verses, how it seems like we kind of have uh, put together a few different ones. Um, some, if you've ever read an academic work, like a dissertation or something like that, you might know that at the very beginning they have what's called an abstract, which is sometimes about like, you know, a couple paragraphs that's trying to summarize the very long work that comes after it. Well, there's the sense where this, the, the Beatitudes, that blessed are, those first 11 verses of the Sermon on the Mount kind of function in that fashion, where in very succinct fashion, it summarizes things that then Jesus will expand upon for the remaining three chapters that's in the Sermon on the Mount. So what we're doing over the next few weeks is we're taking a couple of those very succinct statements, the blessed ours, and then pairing it with a section later in chapter 5 where Jesus is kind of developing those thoughts further. So that's why we kind of skipped around. You'll be seeing that over the next few weeks. But before we go any further, would you please join with me in prayer? Father, as we have sung, we know that you are the one who hears our prayer as we call out. And we know that you are here with us right now. And we want to take hold of this time. We want to make sure that as you are speaking to us through your word, that we are not wasting this, but that our ears, our minds, our hearts are attentive because your words are life. So we ask that your spirit would be very much involved in what takes place here, uh, that he would be guiding me as I speak, that it would be with clarity and faithfulness, and that your spirit would be guiding us to hear what you have to say to us, that we might be changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were with us last week, you'll know that as we are spending these next couple of months looking at the Sermon on the Mount, one of the, the primary things that I think the Sermon on the Mount is about is leading us into change. And that's very present, I think, in the verses that have just been read. I think if there's one verse that really is at the heart of where we are going, where I think Jesus is taking us in this passage, it's that very first verse that was read. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled or they shall be satisfied. 
Here's a metaphor that we understand. I mean, there's some metaphors in scripture that are foreign to us, but hunger and thirst is one that we get, right? I mean, perhaps even now, if you skipped breakfast and now we're talking about hungering, suddenly you're aware of the fact that your stomach is rumbling and you're feeling, you know what? I would really like to have one of those donuts that I saw in the back and I'm looking forward to this being done so I can have one. And why is he even talking about food? Because it's frankly quite distracting right now. Or maybe yesterday when you were outdoors in the beautiful sunshine and maybe you were working hard in the yard or playing basketball or something like that and you came in and you were thirsty and you just wanted something to drink. We know hunger and thirsting is, is being dissatisfied with a clear focus where we, we want something, we need something and we will not rest until we have it. And that's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are dissatisfied with the world, with themselves, because they long for righteousness, and they will not be satisfied until they get it. Blessed are those who are passionate about pursuing change. That's what Jesus says. That's the way of my kingdom. The way of my people are those who are wanting to change because they hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, as we begin thinking about this passage, it's worth just asking this simple question. Is this what describes you? Are you one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness? Are you dissatisfied with a focus where righteousness is what you know you long for and you will not rest until you find it? My guess is if you are like me, the answer is a kind of. That is, sometimes we see it, sometimes we long for it, but if we're saying hungering, thirsting, I don't know if that always describes me. Maybe it doesn't describe me at all. And I think if that's true for you, there are, there's probably, as it's probably true for many of us, some form of obstacle that keeps you from, from longing for change, for pursuing change. Maybe you don't feel like you really need to grow in righteousness. It's not something that's pressing you. Or maybe it's that you don't want to because it doesn't seem attractive. Or maybe it's that you just don't believe you can change, that you don't believe you can grow in righteousness. I bring those three up because I think Jesus takes those three obstacles head on. If we listen to him, I think we find that he is kind of disarming these obstacles so that we can be a people who grow in our hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let me see if I can show you what I'm saying. Let's, let's consider each of these in turn. First, some of the reason that we might not hunger and thirst deeply for righteousness is because we don't feel how deeply we need to change, how deeply we need to grow in righteousness. It's not that we think we're perfect. We know better than that. But, but we feel, if we're honest, mostly there. And if that, is our, if that is our instinct that's in the back of our mind, it is probably because we have somehow shrunk righteousness so that it is not that far off from the way we are, so we don't feel confronted by righteousness. Perhaps what we have done is we have separated our love for Jesus from the commands of Scripture. That is, we focus ourselves on what it means to love Christ, and we know that's important, but we don't spend that much time paying attention to all of the commands that Scripture has. We think maybe that's, that's less of an issue. 
This is a tendency that's actually been in the church from almost the very beginning. Way back in, I think, about the third century, uh, a man by the name of Marcion decided that the Jesus that he saw in the New Testament was very different from the God of the Old Testament. Jesus is more loving, more tolerant about forgiveness. God is more harsh and about rules. And so he literally chopped up his Bible. He took part of Luke and some of Paul and got rid of the rest. Uh, more recently, you have people who identify themselves as red-letter Christians. And what they really mean by that is they want to pay close attention to the words of Jesus, or at least some of the words of Jesus, if they're honest, and, and maybe de-emphasize the rest as being somehow less important. Now, maybe we're not exactly like that, but if we're honest, I wonder how many of us see in ourselves a tendency to be focused on our relationship with Christ, and we know we're supposed to love him and trust him, but we find ourselves being impatient with paying attention to rules, commands in scripture. That seems to be something that's more of the past, not present. So here's the danger with that. If we take Jesus and we remove him from the commands from the Old Testament, we have a great temptation to make Jesus a lot more like us than we realize. So if we are urban hipsters who are, find social justice important but are sexually promiscuous, Surprise, surprise, we find Jesus really being concerned about the poor, but not at all concerned in our understanding about who we sleep with. Or if, on the other hand, we are conservative, suburban, middle-class people who are, find morality important, while well, we see Jesus really focused on morality, but we don't really notice when he speaks about what we should do with our wealth or how we should care for the poor. See, what we do when we move Jesus from the rest of Scripture is we shrink him we shrink righteousness into a shape and size that makes us more comfortable, so we're not confronted by it. But do you notice how Jesus speaks directly against that in this passage? He says in verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Don't remove your following of me from the rest of the Bible, because that's not something I am for. And then he clarifies, clarifies it even further. He says, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Do you hear that? Jesus is saying, if you are a red-letter Christian, you are completely misunderstanding me. Because I am not about getting rid of the rest of the Bible. I am for it. I have come not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. My kingdom is about people who, who endorse, who love all of the scriptures and not me. If you love me, you will love the rest of the Bible as well. You will love the commandments of the Bible as well. And you will seek to teach them and to do them, he says. See, the righteousness that Jesus calls us to is much more confrontational than we would like. It's full-orbed. It calls us to social justice. It calls us to sexual chastity and fidelity. It calls us to conflict resolution with our neighbors. It calls us to faithful prayer. It is bigger, and only if we allow Jesus and the rest of scriptures to come together will we see that. But there's another way that some of us can shrink righteousness so that we're not as confronted by it. We can instead do the very opposite. Rather than holding on to loving Jesus and getting rid of the rest, we hold on to the commands and de-emphasize the loving Jesus part. Because some of us, if we're honest, are checklist people. And so we like the idea of a checklist of righteousness. If we just pay attention to the rules and check them off, then we're good. Now this also has kind of this 
ancient tradition. This is really what we see in the Pharisees. Now, before we're too hard on the Pharisees, we should realize that the Pharisees were the conservatives of that day. They were the ones who saw other people playing loosey-goosey with the scriptures and saying, we are going to be careful to follow everything. If the Bible tells us to tithe, we're going to look at our herb garden and make sure we give one out of every ten leaves. If the Bible says we're supposed to rest on the Sabbath, we're going to count the number of steps we take on that day. We will be scrupulous in following the commands that God has given us. And that's some of us. We want to be really careful at following the commands. But here's the danger that's on this side. If you reduce righteousness to commands, you are doing exactly that. You are reducing it. You know when you have checked off the boxes, you are done, and you don't have to think about it anymore. But all that you have is an externalism, a coldness, where there is no compassion and no love. You have taken the rules and you have removed the love that's at the center. But Jesus confronts this as well. The very last thing he says in our passage, you notice it, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this would have been shocking for people because no one was more righteous than the Pharisees in people's eyes. But Jesus is saying, you need to understand the righteousness I am calling you to, the righteousness of the kingdom is different from this checklist righteousness. It's a righteousness that involves both my commands and loving me. It's a righteousness that is full orb, that involves integrity and harmony and compassion. It is big. We can't redefine righteousness to make ourselves more comfortable with it. The more we know Jesus, The more we listen to Jesus and the more we understand how all of the Bible points to Jesus, the more we also realize that righteousness is so much bigger. Every year it will get bigger for us, and that means every year we will also realize how much we need for it. As we spend time hearing, we will hunger and thirst because we will know our need. But there's another reason why we might not hunger and thirst, and it's not just because you don't realize we need it. There is, if we're honest, a sense where we don't know how, how much we actually want to change, specifically to grow in righteousness. I mean, just look at the way you organize your life. Think of work. My guess is for many of you, you are very committed to growing in your work. You, you go to seminars, you find a mentor, you read books. And let me just say, that is a really good thing. I don't say this enough, but... We glorify God by doing our work well. But let me ask you, as you are pursuing change and growth in this, how much attention do you give to how to grow in righteousness in the way that you work? Or think about the way we parent. Our parenting is so much focused, and rightly so, on helping our kids to grow and to change. And we give a lot of time and energy to academic growth and change, making sure our kids do the homework, wanting to make sure they're in good schools, to, to social growth. We, we have play dates so our kids can learn how to relate well to others, to share and to know how to be considerate. We, we seek athletic growth with all the time that we give for sports. And all of these things are good. But how much time and energy do you rectally give to bringing about the growth and change of righteousness in your children's lives? See, if we look at that, I suspect we might realize that maybe we don't 
love and long for righteousness as much as we long for other things. And there's some reasons for that. Part of the reason, I think, is what we were talking about last week, that for many of us, righteousness just doesn't seem that attractive. We have this Sam the Eagle, remember that Sam the Eagle vision of righteousness, where it's all about not having fun, not laughing in case we might do something extreme, but just doing things that are wholesome and upright. And that, that's not at all appealing to us. That's also not the righteousness that Jesus calls us to. He calls us to a beautiful righteousness that's about integrity and harmony and joy. But I think even when we do have a right understanding of righteousness, even still, part of the struggle is we aren't that convinced that it will make things better for us to grow in righteousness in this fashion. And really, Jesus actually agrees in the short term that that's right. Did you notice that the second blessed is, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus is saying that if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you grow in righteousness, you will meet opposition. Things will actually get harder for you at times. And if we think about that, that is part of what drives that, that discrepancy in our work in parenting. We, we pursue growth in our skills at work because we know that's part of what will help us get promoted. But what will happen if we grow in righteousness? Will that help us in work? Well, at times it will seem to almost work against our advancement because there are real challenges when it comes to righteousness at work, isn't there? I was reading this book by a guy by the name of Tom Nelson who, who writes in Work Matters, you may be told to look away and pretend that nothing ever happened. You may be asked to fudge a bid or a sales number. You may feel pressure to ignore a worker's immigration papers, to sleep with your boss, to put a good spin on a financial statement, to spy on a competitor, or to overlook a shoddy product. There are different pressures we face at work. And here's the thing, in each of those scenarios, the way of righteousness actually stands in the way of our advancements, doesn't it? Think again of our children. We want them to grow academically and socially because we know that's what it needs for them to get in good colleges and that's what it needs for them to have good friends. But for them to grow in righteousness, part of us, we understand that we want that for our kids, but we also realize that, that might make things harder. Sometimes it puts them out of step with the people around them. In the short term, if we're honest, righteousness makes things often worse, not better. But Jesus is calling us to a lifestyle of delayed self-gratification here. We all know about delayed self-gratification. It's one of the main lessons we learn as kids, isn't it? Don't eat the whole candy bowl at once. It's not worth it. Or don't, don't just play outside with your friends when you've got homework because you need to get homework done. Or continue to persevere at practicing in sports again and again because even as hard as it is, it will pay off in the end. We learn, and if we're honest, we're continuing to learn how delayed self-gratification, how perseverance is ultimately what leads to the kind of life that we want. And Jesus says, this is exactly how it is for life when it comes to righteousness. Yes, if you pursue righteousness, you will experience opposition and persecution, but you will also be blessed Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They'll be satisfied if they pursue it in this way. 
Those who practice the law and teach others to do so will be called great in my kingdom, he says. This is the life that you want. It's a life in the short term that's hard, but in the long run is the life of blessedness. I was reading something interesting. A guy by the name of Jonathan Haidt wrote a bestseller a number of years ago called The Happiness Hypothesis. This is a social psychiatrist, psychiatrist at New York University, and he was doing a lot of research trying to distill what is it that causes people, some people in society, to be more happy than others. And after lots of interviews and lots of analysis, he said, really, it can be boiled down to three things. You need to have right relationships with others. You need to have right relationship to your work so that you view your work as a vocation where you're giving yourself to something bigger. And you need to have a right relationship with something that is bigger than yourself. If you think about it, he's just defined righteousness. Righteousness to walk humbly and well with others. Righteousness to see your life as service to others in your work and the rest of your calling. Righteousness to have a right relationship with God. He is saying, without even realizing it, that the path to happiness, that blessedness, comes in righteousness. Short term, we don't feel it, but long term, and we know this, don't we? I mean, sometimes we can be distracted by the shiny objects of life. But when we step back and we think, what kind of life do I actually want? It's not necessarily a life where there's lots of advancement and income growth. It's a life where we can look at our lives and be proud of the person that we were, the integrity that we showed, the way that we dealt with others. And when we think of what we want for our children, we want the same thing, don't we? See, Jesus is saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This, this is the life that we want, not just in the future, although that is clearly what Jesus is speaking about, that in the end we will know this was right, but even in the present. Do you see the beauty of the life of righteousness? Well, let me say, even if we do, even if these two obstacles are not issues, even if we realize we need to grow and we really want to grow in righteousness. My guess is for many of us, there is a third obstacle that is probably the hardest obstacle to overcome. And that is that you and I are not convinced that even if we tried, we could grow in righteousness. Because again and again, we have tried to change. And we keep on failing. And we find ourselves just going back again and again to the same old habits. And that's what brings us to perhaps the part of this passage that you most need to understand and that you most need to hear. And that is when Jesus says he came to fulfill the law, he is saying, I came to make you righteous. Sometimes when we hear people interpret this idea of Jesus coming to fulfill the law, we hear it as saying, Jesus saying, I came to do the law perfectly so that you don't have to fulfill the law. Now, there's an element of truth to that point. Jesus fulfilled all righteousness so that we don't ever need to accomplish this to be loved by God. That's true, but I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. And the reason I say that is because of what he says right after. After he says, I came to fulfill the law, he doesn't say, so you don't need to worry about it. He says, so that means you should not remove one bit of the law. 
That, that anyone who relaxes the law is least, but anyone who seeks to do it. So clearly, whatever Jesus means by I came to fulfill the law, he assumes that that means all the more that we should be obeying it and fulfilling it. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, all that the law was given to accomplish, I have come to finally do. See, the law was given to Israel to point people in the way of righteousness, to help people know how to live towards each other, how to have a just society, how to live before God, how to live in the blessedness of righteousness. It pointed the way. But because of the weakness of people's sin, people didn't go there. In the end, all the law did was expose our sin and condemned. And Jesus said, what the law could not do, I have come to do. I have come so that you can finally live the righteousness that this law pointed out. Paul puts it this way. I think he helps interpret what Jesus means. He says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, when Jesus came and died and rose again, he didn't just come to die to take away our guilt. He certainly did that, but that wasn't the only reason he came. He also came to break the power of sin so that it no longer imprisons us. When he died on the cross, sin's power came to an end. And when he rose again, he gave us a new power, a power of life that enables us to now live in the manner of righteousness that we are called to live. So if I ask you, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins and that you are forgiven? I hope you answer yes. But it's an also important question to ask, do you believe that Jesus died to make you righteous so that if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will grow in righteousness? Because that also is what Jesus is telling I came to fulfill the law. I came to make it so that you could live as you were called to live. What this means is that you are not stuck. As much as you feel like change is useless and that you will never grow, the reality is that is not true. Jesus tells you, blessed are you if you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Why? Because you will be filled. Do you hear? That's a promise that he will give you what you hunger for. And if you need to be convinced, you just need to look around in this room. Because people I know who have been here five or ten or people who have been following Christ for 20 years are not the same person today that they were five, ten, or 20 years ago. I know of some people here who were stuck in addictions, whether that was alcohol abuse or whether that was addiction to pornography, who have been renewed and freed and through hard work and the power of Christ now no longer are under its imprisoning power. I know people who would tell you that five, ten years ago, they were filled with rage. And it would be the smallest of things that would cause them just to fly out in anger. But now they've been made meek and gentle through Jesus. There are people here who once were arrogant and full of themselves, but now are being humbled. 
People once prayerless, but now learning to depend on God. People who complained, but now are learning gratitude. This is the way Jesus works. When he came to this world, he came not just to free us from guilt, but to make us the people we were created to be, to make us righteous. Blessed are you if you hunger and thirst, because it's not going to be useless. It's not going to be in vain. Yes, it will take a while. Rarely are we ever freed overnight. Sometimes some of the things that really rack our hearts that we are stuck in take a lifetime. But Jesus gives real resurrection power. He enables us to move and to grow in righteousness. We are filled. See, what Jesus is is calling us to, he is saying hunger, thirst for righteousness. Because this is the way of blessing. This is the way of my kingdom. And so I ask again, does this describe you? What stands in the way that's keeping you from hungering and thirsting from righteousness? Just a moment, we're going to be spending some time in some silent prayer and confession. I wonder if for some of you, you already know as you think about where God is calling you to grow, there are certain things the Holy Spirit has been laying on your heart, maybe even one thing in particular that he is calling you to, he is inviting you to as you are seeking to grow in righteousness. And I invite you in this time of silence to confess that very specific thing and to ask for the power of Christ to enable you to grow and then not just leave it there, but later on talk to someone and ask for them to pray as well. Or maybe right now you're at a place where there is nothing on your heart, nothing clear. I would invite you to use this time to confess your lack of passion for hungering and thirsting and righteousness and ask God to show you where he is calling you to grow. Wherever we are, we can know that as we pursue, as we step forward, as we hunger and thirst, Jesus will be faithful. And he will fill all who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Would you please join with me in a time of silent prayer? And then just a couple of minutes, I will lead us subsequent to that. <laughs> 